Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Darren, come, come on up. Pray for you. God, we thank you for this time and this space to be able to meet, to, to worship you, to hear from your word. We ask that you would... Give us ears to hear what you have to say through Daniel today. Uh, we just ask that you would help us grow in our prayer life uh, through these words, that you would uh, use this time to bring us closer to you. We thank you for Darren and the time that he's been able to spend in your work this week. We just ask that you would uh, be present and help us just to sit and be still and behold you uh, as we listen to your word this morning. We need you, we love you. Uh, just ask these things in your name. looking at a passage about prayer. Prayer, okay. Now, I think whether you've been a Christian for, I don't know, two weeks, two years, 20 years, um, this is a very important passage. Really, really important. Because the truth is that while people kind of intuitively understand that prayer is like this good thing, it's this thing that we're supposed to do as Christians, right? Um, Jesus is saying it is possible, okay? It's possible to do the right thing, the moral thing, a religiously good deed with very wrong and immoral and unrighteous motives. Up until this point, Jesus has been preaching what's called the Sermon on the Mount, which is basically this long sermon about God's kingdom and how followers of Jesus are supposed to live. And so in chapter 5, Jesus shows us that God's kingdom is made up of people who, once they understood God's law, they then understand the depth and extent of their sin. And 
chapter 6, where we are this morning, Jesus shows us that God's kingdom is made up of people who, once they've understood God's law, they understand the depth and extent of God's call to righteousness. In other words, chapter 6 shows us that it's not just enough to do the right things, but you have to have the right motives when doing the right things. You see, this is already different than popular forms of religion and spirituality, and it's certainly not moralism. Because in the world, people aren't really concerned about why you do what you do, as long as you just do the right thing. And sadly, many professing Christians have this same sort of mindset. But as we see, Jesus as usual, he, he's demanding much more than we can ever think or imagine. And everyone, even Christians, we're prone to practicing righteousness or doing good deeds for the wrong reasons. And this is what Jesus calls hypocrisy. So if you're here today, you're not a Christian, and you say, well, I can't believe the Bible, I can't be a Christian, I can't do that whole thing, because Christianity is filled, filled with hypocrites. Well, you're in good company, because Jesus has a lot to say about hypocrisy. Jesus warned his disciples to be careful, and check their motives, check your motives for prayer. And Jesus, by giving us some really powerful examples. He shows us three main reasons, three main motivations for why people pray, two of which are wrong, two of which miss the mark. Firstly, in verses 5 through 6, Jesus shows us that some people pray to be seen. And secondly, in verses 7 through 8, Jesus shows us that some people pray to get control. Thirdly, verses 9 through 15, Jesus shows us that Christians, though, Christians who have been changed by the gospel, really get more of God. Let me say that again. Some people pray to be seen. Some people pray to get control. But Christians, we, we pray to get more of God. And it's that third motivation that we should strive for as Christians. So first, do you pray to be seen? I'll pose it as a question. Verses 5 through 7, read with me. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when, when you pray, go into your room and, and shut, shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, first we need to understand what prayer is. And it's actually quite simple. It's pouring out your hearts to God. That's what prayer is. It's pouring out your heart to God. Talking to Him. It's thanking Him, it's praising Him, it's communicating with Him. We were created by God to commune with God, and prayer is the means by which we get God. Prayer is something that God's people have been doing 
all throughout history. It's something that Jesus expected his followers to do. We see this from the immediate context in this passage, but also from places like Luke 11, 9, where Jesus says, And I tell you, ask, seek, knock. Luke 18, 1, Jesus told them a parable to the fact that they ought always to pray. Colossians 4, 2, continuously, continue steadfastly in prayer. Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. And of course, Jesus himself, as you read the Gospels, he prayed regularly, often. So the expectation is that as followers of Christ, we are regularly praying, we are regularly talking to God. Yet there is a simple kind of attitude that we can easily fall into when praying. Look at the passage again. How Jesus describes the Pharisees, or what he calls the hypocrites. In verse 5, he says that they prayed in the synagogues and at the street corners. But listen carefully, that wasn't what Jesus was concerned with. Jesus wasn't rebuking the Pharisees simply because they prayed in public. He was rebuking them because of why they prayed in public. For them, prayer in public was because they loved to be seen. This is why Jesus calls them hypocrites. They were going out in public doing these good deeds like praying or fasting or giving to be seen. They weren't praying for God in His glory, for the good of other people. They were praying for their own good, for their own glory. And it's this kind of spirituality that Jesus totally condemns and calls hypocritical. Is this you? Is this me? Do you pray to be seen by others as a maybe a super Christian, really holy guy? Now I figure most of us would say no because we're, you know, pretty self-righteous at times. Um, but I wouldn't be so quick to fall into that trap because it's actually incredibly hard to know your own heart, let alone other people's. And so let me help you figure out if you're praying to be seen. You're welcome. Here are three ways. Three ways you know your motives for praying simple. Number one, you pray in public more than you do in private. This is when you haven't prayed by yourself or alone in days, but you're really excited to pray during the see, You're really excited to go to that prayer gathering. You're really excited to pray after the church gathering for people. You just hop right in. Maybe you take communion and you wait for ages, minutes, on your knees, quietly, contemplative. But at home, there's none of that. Or maybe you post all of your prayers on social media. Your, your timeline is full of prayers, but not that prayer journal. Or maybe when you pray or think of God, you regularly find yourself comparing yourself to others. When you pray, you may have your eyes closed, but the eyes of your heart have one eye open, and you're looking at others. Comparing yourself. 
Maybe you're wondering what others thought of you the other day at that get-together. Maybe you're spending your time thanking God you're not like other people. Remember that story in Luke chapter 18? Look with me here. Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. So, God, I, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, an adulterer. Remember this sermon we preached a few weeks ago, though? Or, or even like this tax collector. Oh, well, okay. That, that part right there is funny to me because aren't you supposed to be praying, you know, thinking about God? Maybe your eyes are closed. How do you know a tax collector is standing next to you? The Pharisee says, I, I fast twice a week. We're going to talk about that thing next week. I give tithes of all that I get. Aaron talked about that last week. But the tax collector standing far off and not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but deep his, his breath, saying, God, be merciful to me. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than another. You see, this Pharisee is supposed to be praying to God for others and for God's kingdom, yet he's thanking God he's not as bad as other people. Now, some of us are not that outright, <laughs> you know, mean. But we do say things like this in subtle ways, I think. Um, my wife gave me permission to tell this story about her and us, so I don't feel bad about it. Um, but sometimes, you know, my wife, who's, you know, she's a labor and delivery nurse, she often sees really terrible things. I mean, you know, parents who neglect their children, spouses who, you know, abuse or fight each other or mothers who drink or do drugs heavily while pregnant. It's a really hard thing to see, honestly. Well, one day we were having a really difficult time with our daughter, Noelle, and she was not listening to us at all. She was not paying attention. We could not control her. We were at the end of our rope. We had no idea what to do. And my wife, <laughs> feeling very discouraged, um, she was feeling terrible about herself. And I was trying to encourage her and say, like, you know, why do you feel so badly? I mean, you know, you can't control, you know, Noelle all the time. Sometimes kids are just kids. And she said, well, you know, Darren, on days like this, sometimes I just remind myself, I'm, at least I'm not one of those moms who do meth. Pretty bad. Um, true, maybe. But do we really want to go down that route? But, Comparing ourselves to others. Now, lest you think that my life is an exceptionally bad person, there's still the rest of the sermon, so I'll get to you in a moment. But do you say or feel things like this? I, I, I have. I'm just going to be honest. I, I felt that. So, your motives are simple. Or maybe, thirdly, lastly, you use overly religious language, right? Maybe your motives are bad and, and they're for 
you're, you're concerned with people pleasing, and so therefore you use overly religious language when you pray. This is one that so many of us are guilty of. Right? Many of us talk to God in ways that we never talk to anyone else. You see, there's a difference between being reverent and being showy. There's a difference between praying along biblical lines and praying while using big words just for the sake. For some of you, it's like when you pray, you start speaking a whole different language. Like, I, I know someone when he prays, he... He starts speaking in Shakespearean English, like just great King James. <laughs> this is when you pray and you start using words and phrases like hedge of protection. God, I don't want to be on the circumference or the perimeter of your will. I want to be at the center. I don't even know what God God, I don't know what that means. I echo that. <laughs> Break every chain. I, I don't know what you're saying. Some of us, when we normally talk, we use eighth grade English. But when we when we pray, we use PhD English. God is not impressed with that. He, he's really not. You, you don't have to do all that. You see, at, at best, we make other Christians feel less of themselves. And at worst, we make people who aren't familiar with Christianity turned off, confused. So, how do you know your motives are wrong? Do you pray in public more than in private? Are your prayers filled with comparisons? Or do you pray using overly religious language? At, at the core of all of this is, I think, this desire to be seen. You know, you're, you're worshiping the approval of other people. That's the kind of reward the Pharisees were seeking after. The praise, the approval, the affirmation of others. And the result is that you can't commune with God because you're not actually seeking Him. Which is the very thing prayer is designed Okay? But if we go to God in prayers and we're just you and Him alone, then, then that's where we have a reward. That's where we're changed. Now, before I move on, quickly here, um, I do admit this is very difficult to do. It's very difficult to check our motives and make sure that that they're, you know, we're praying in the right frame of mind, right? Because we are called, on one hand, to let our light or our good deeds shine in the world in such a way that people give glory to God, while at the same time, we're not to do it to be seen by others, right? We're supposed to go to our, our prayer closet as it and pray in secret. But also pray, cor pray corporately with others, right? This is, this is a very complicated and difficult thing to sort of control. And the truth on top of that is that some people, they don't pray in public because they're afraid of doing it for the wrong reasons. And of course, there are some people who don't pray in public because they just don't want other people to make fun of them or think that they're weird. They're sort of afraid of what you might call a kind of persecution. People judging them. Well, one thing, uh, there's one scholar, I can't remember his name, uh, but he says this, and I think it's really helpful. It's a sort of maybe truism, I don't know. But he says this, he says, show when tempted to hide. Show when tempted to hide. And hide 
when tempted to show. Show when tempted to hide, and hide when tempted to show. I, th- I think that's just really helpful to so- just sort of remind yourself when you think about these spiritual disciplines of prayer. All right. Now let's move on. I'll say more about that later. But the first thing that we see, the first motive is we're praying to be seen. Of course, this isn't you. Maybe you fall into this trap, which is what we see in verses 7 through 8. Maybe you pray to get control. Maybe you pray to get control. It reads, verses 7 through 8. And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So Jesus moves from the Pharisees and their hypocrisy, this this negative example, to another negative example. In this case, the Gentiles. And how they pray oftentimes in what Jesus calls vain or redundant ways. He says, heaping up empty phrases. Now, Quickly, the Gentiles. These are just people who are not ethnically Jewish, right? And, and this is important because at this time, Judaism was practiced primarily, though not exclusively, but primarily by people who were Hebrew. Okay. And so, when Jesus says, "Don't pray like the Gentiles," he has in mind a particular kind of religious practice. He says, "Heaping up empty phrases." And, there are two places in Scripture that kind of give us an idea of what he's talking about. Um, there is 1 Kings chapter 18, 26. Okay. This context here is Elijah, a prophet. He's fighting against the false prophets of Paul. And he says in 1 Kings, And they took the bull that was given to them, and they prepared it, and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. And then verse 29, As midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the obligation. Uh, but there was no voice. Okay, so they're just repeating the same thing for hours. And then we have another example. In Acts 19.34, when Paul was with his friend, Alexander in Greece, But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Greatest Artemis of the Ephesians. Right? So it's this kind of thing that Jesus had in mind, right? This sort of vain, uh, repetitious sort of thing. In both of those examples, you have people who are going to their gods, which the Bible calls false gods, or idols, and trying to pray and worship. Them. And, and they're doing this. They're, they're repeating these phrases, trying to get a hold of their God so that their God would notice them, so that they would get rain or maybe food or have material success. But this is totally different. That approach is totally different than biblical Christian prayer. You see, the Gentiles believe that God would respond if you said the right words or uh, gave the right sort of incantation. And this is still how many people think of God in prayer today. Think about it. Not all, but an awful lot of meditation today is along these lines. You, you empty yourself out of all thoughts, and maybe even desires, until you reach this sort of state of peace, equilibrium. Or maybe this looks like manifesting things. 
I was listening to a podcast, some podcast on the New York Times about manifesting. Um, and if you're not familiar with what manifesting is, it's basically when people will things into existence by positive thinking and focusing on what you want until it's brought into existence by the universe. Um, this can be things like money, experiences, or oftentimes relationships. First time I remember hearing about this was my wife. She was telling me about her friend who was pregnant, who uh, posted on social media that she was really hungry, so she manifested goat cheese for herself. For herself. I don't know why you want to manifest goat cheese out of all the things in the world. You're not going to manifest a healthy pregnancy, money to end world hunger. You manifested goat cheese. I don't believe in manifesting, but if it was true, that's a very silly thing to manifest. <laughs> Um, and the thing is, though, the church does the same thing. How many times do we pray and just repeat the same phrase over and over and over again? Or maybe, maybe we're high church, right? And we love liturgy, right? And we just, we just be saying this stuff, not even thinking. Right? Or maybe we say in Jesus' name, like it's some sort of magical little sprinkle that you put on the end of prayer, and God is now supposed to answer your prayer. Right? Or, or maybe you pray for two hours for blank, and you think that God is obligated to answer you because you spent two hours of prayer on it. Maybe you get mad at God because the thing that you prayed for was a good thing, like health, job, a relationship being healed, that ministry thing, and God didn't answer you in any perceivable way. You do the same thing. And so Jesus' concern here isn't necessarily long prayer or perseverance in prayer, but empty, vain, and repetitious prayer. And at the end of the day, we're trying to control things. We're trying to control God and life's circumstances through prayer instead of humbly submitting to Him through prayer. Here's the thing. God is not a power to be manipulated, but a person to embrace. God is not a force to control, but a father to be loved and followed. Regardless of your tendency, brothers and sisters, whether you pray to be seen or whether you pray for control, either side misses what's required for a legitimate prayer, which is a humble heart fixed on God. Both sides are fixed on the self, but through different means. You see, the Pharisees are fixed on themselves through people pleasing. And the Gentiles are focused on themselves through religious, religious manipulation of the divine and the universe or whatever it is. Neither wants God for God. And both sides end up using hurting people in the process. So as we move to our last point, why do you pray? Do you pray to be seen like the Pharisees? Do you pray like the Gentiles with empty, vain repetition to control things? Or do you pray to get more of God? Look with me at verses 9 and 15. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then Jesus says, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now with these last verses, Jesus moves into a positive example by showing us how we ought to pray. And though this is called the Lord's Prayer, it's really the disciples' prayer. And in it, we see something fundamentally different than all the other approaches to prayer that we, we talked about, right? And this approach, the disposition is praying to get and receive more of God. It's praying to see God glorified. It's a God-centered sort of approach, isn't it? Now, I'm not going to get into all of this because we're actually going to spend a few weeks just looking at the Lord's Prayer, okay? So... I'm not skipping, you know, just because I'm being lazy or something. We're really going to dig into this, okay? So I, I just want to talk about it generally, okay? Let's take a brief moment. <laughs> right. Now, I think it's important to mention, to realize, when you, when you look at the Sermon on the Mount, uh, and, and when you look at the, the root, I guess, of this prayer, there's a word mentioned many, many times. In fact, this word is mentioned at least 15 times just the Sermon on the And it's the word Father. Father. God is Father. And our Father. And He's not like an earthly Father. He's, he's more like the best, the, the fairest, the strongest, the kindest, the richest, the most powerful Father, that you can imagine times infinity. And it's to this Father that we pray and communion with and cast our cares and our concerns upon. And Jesus, the master of prayer, gives us this prayer as a framework for how we should pray in all of life. You see, we pray because we want to see God honored. Verse 9. We pray because we want to see God work in our world and restore everything that's broken. That's verse 10. We pray because we want God to take care of us because we know we can't take care of ourselves. That's verse 11. We pray because we want forgiveness and a restored relationship with God and others. That's verse 12. We pray because we want to be holy and have freedom from sin because God is holy and He's free from sin. That's, that's verse 13. And we pray because we want more of our Father and the blessings that flow from knowing Him. See, this prayer isn't long, but it's not irreverent or vain, is it? This prayer isn't judgmental, but it's humble. This prayer isn't full of requests for things that we want, but it's concerned with what God wants while we humbly ask God to take care. This is the kind of prayer life that we're called to. We should pray because we want more of God. Do you pray because you want more of God? As you know, this is a very difficult task because we often have mixed motives, don't we? It's kind of scary when you think about it. 
There are things right now, brothers and sisters, that you are praying for, that you think you want for this reason, but you really want for this reason, and you may not even know it. Right? What do you do when you realize that there are many times you pray for mi with mixed motives, right? Well, what do you do when you feel like you, you don't even want to pray? What do you do when you feel like you can't pray? How do you overcome hindrances to prayer and bad motivations to prayer, right? How do you get to this, to this third point that I've said here? Praying to get more of God. I think the key is found in verse, verses 12 and uh, 14 and 15. I think the key is reminding ourselves that we've been forgiven through the gospel. That's how you get to praying for the right motive. Reminding yourself of the gospel. You see, this desire to pray, to connect with someone or something greater than ourselves is actually an imprint left on our hearts by God because of the fall. See, at the beginning of human history, Adam and Eve were in a perfect relationship with God, and they poured out their hearts to Him continually. They walked with Him. They talked with God. They didn't even need to pray for forgiveness, if you can imagine. It was as normal as talking to your best friend. But Satan tempted, Satan tempted Adam and Eve to doubt God's fatherly care. And as a result of the fall, sin entered into the world and fellowship with God was blocked off. And now the only way to get back into fellowship was and is by God initiating contact with sinful human beings. That's why when we pray to God, it's often difficult, it's often mechanical, or we're ridden with guilt. Much of biblical history is a story of how Israel tried to get back into the presence of God. Right? We have the Tower of Babel. Right? We have the temple. We have the sacrificial system. We have the priesthood. We have other forms of mediation. And yet, by the time we get to the New Testament, Jesus is on the scene and we see something really profound. He's a rabbi. But he once talked to a Samaritan woman and told her there would be a day in which we could worship God without a temple. He's a Jew, but he's promising the kingdom to Gentiles. He clearly has a respect for God, but he's calling him father, daddy, father. He's a great teacher of the law, but he never really condemns people who recognize they're sinners. Instead, he often condemns the people who don't think they are. He's a man who never did anything wrong, but was always mistreated and misunderstood by others. Yet, he prayed for them and their forgiveness. And at the end of Jesus' life, he does something profound. He prays for you and you and you. And you, and you, and you, and you, and everybody who calls themselves a Christian. He 
prays that we would become family, sons and daughters of God. He prays for us that we would be forgiven of our sin and loved by the Father, no longer orphans, no longer Gentiles, but citizens and saints adopted. And there's a moment in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is all alone praying, not ultimately for his preservation and escape from the cross, but for God's will to be done, even if it means sacrificing himself. You see, Jesus prayed and prays for you. He prayed that you be saved and you know the Father just as intimately as He knows the Father. He didn't pray because He wanted control. No, He prayed because He wanted the reward for enduring the cross. And what was that reward of Christ? The joy of seeing his offspring, as Isaiah 53 says, the joy of seeing his people saved and made into citizens of the kingdom. You want to overcome your bad motivations to pray? Look to Jesus and what he's done. You want to overcome the guilt that you feel in prayer? Look to Jesus and his offer of forgiveness of you through his death and resurrection. Do you want to learn how to pray? Look at Jesus, the master of prayer. You want to overcome apathy in prayer? Well, look to Jesus and remind yourself of the gospel and what he's done. You want to be seen? Remind yourself that the Father has seen you. And he loves you so much that he sent his Son to save you and the Holy Spirit to live in you and compel you to cry out, Abba, Father, when you don't even know where to begin in prayer. Do you pray like this? Do you pray to get more of God? As we close, brothers and sisters, I want to offer two, maybe you can call them points of application, I don't know, two things to hold on to. Okay. One, I want you to consider the extent of your reward. Last week, Aaron talked about rewards and heaven and all of this stuff. And I just want to add to that a bit to kind of expound on it. Um, obviously, it's important to pray with the right motives because if you don't, Jesus says you won't get rewarded in the ways that matter the most. The fact is, is that we are reward-seeking creatures. It's the way that God made us and the reward we get from praying uh, to see the reward that we get from praying to be seen is simply earthly, fading. Want people's approval? Great. It'll last for maybe a lifetime. That's it. Now, that kind of reward is a snare because it restricts our ability to do righteous deeds when persecution might arise. The fact is that we are supposed to practice our deeds before people, but we have to do it with the right reward. No way around. And so Jesus says there is heavenly reward. Now, briefly, it's important for me to, to, to just explain this that we are supposed to be motivated by heavenly reward, provided we understand what that is, right? Um, it's not pious to diminish and ignore the ways that God says we're motivated. <laughs> In the New Testament, there are at least, this may be really conservative, there are at least 20 verses that implicitly or explicitly talk about heavenly reward as a motivation for righteousness. Okay? 
Whether it's the reward of the resurrection body, crowns, riches, eternal life, the new heavens and new earth, freedom from sin, meaningful work, mansions, rest, knowledge, unhindered fellowship with God. There are rewards. There's nothing wrong with being motivated like that. In fact, it's just simply biblical Christianity. Provided you understand what heavenly rewards are. Provided you understand that God is the source, the fount of every blessing. Right? God has always used means to communicate His blessing and His presence to people. Right? And He'll continue to use means in the new heavens and earth. Um, that was bad, he wouldn't have set it up that way. God uses means to complete and maximize our joy in him as the creator of everything and everyone. Okay? Now, lastly, um, very quickly here, this is probably not novel, but I just want to impress this upon you, and I just want to plead with you to, to do this. Okay? Pray scripture. Pray scripture. Pray scripture. And let that mean restructure your motives. Communication is a two-way street. And as we pour out our hearts to God through prayer, God speaks back infallibly, yes, infallibly, without error, through his infallible word. Okay? And it's through the word that we are sanctified. It's through the word that we know who God is and what he's done. And if you pray God's word, according to his will, that is, it will definitely restructure your motives. So when you open your Bible, later today, tomorrow, whenever you got a chance, take time when you're reading to stop and pray out. Pray scripture. Brothers, sisters, as we close this morning, I want to encourage you to pray with the quote from the British preacher Charles Spurgeon. He says, this is not on the board, so just listen to me. He says this, because God is the living God, he can hear. Because he is a loving God, he will hear. Because he is our covenant Father, though, he has bound himself to you. Brothers, sisters, pray with me. Father, we thank you for who you are. Um, every blessing flows from you, and they are too, too many to know. <laughs> So, would you change our God? Would you change our motivation? Would we pray to get more of you? Would we look to heavenly reward? Not to the things on earth that fail. Help us to not pray to be seen, to be thought of as some sort of special person. Help us to avoid praying, to just get control of things in our lives. But rather, help us to pray to get more of you, to, to glorify you. Forgive us for the ways in which we fail at this. There are many. Help us to remember the gospel, which is that you pray for us and that you're praying for us even now. 
What a, what a privilege. What a blessing. And we pray continuously. Looking to you. Because you're good.